of us died. Someone sat in front of me. He's looking cheery today. Looks like death's done him some good. Relaxed him a bit. Perhaps even given him a bit of emotion. I must admit, I was looking rather lively at that point. They painted me up like a half-cut Jesse. Cremation in advance of a cremation. Vivified by exaggerated hues. Well, don't we all love a bit of artifice? I must have smelled good too. Smoldering cones of incense wafted and wavered in a final disingenuous act. And now in the front of tremulous nostrils. I was always one for hiding. I cherish that final picture I have of myself. Of what was mine, at least up to a point. How will they deny that now? On loan, that's what we were. Borrowed bodies on borrowed time. Thoughts, feelings, movements, expressions, inclinations. None of that governs ours. Desperation readjusts its ideal to the closest unreachable handhold, recalibrates the negative to a zero, then aspires to the light above. Already ash grey, but blinding compared to the gulf below. My nose was the first to go. Off with it, chuck it in the pile, for I've been needing that where you're going. And off it came like a chunk of honeycomb. Gloopily reticent to leave its drowned hive. I had to flick it quite forcibly to indulge that final separation. The eyes were easy to uncouch. Closing for just a moment, the lids are eager to restitch. Leave them to their work. And the ears, as flighty as hares when the hound makes chase, they plugged their burrows and dug deep. Blind as moles now. And the mouth, that incorrigible black hole, swallows the last crumb of the ellipsis.
You're in a long queue for General Martins. You can't remember how long you've been queuing, but it's been long enough to visit the tree goats at least three or four times. Each time you did, as you climbed up and gingerly pulled your face level with their platform in the treehouse, you were met with the stern gazes from Mr. and Mrs. Honeycomb, the Billy and the Nanny of the tree. A look that read, Not now, please. We're discussing something. And each time you'd bow your eyelids in polite apology and shuffle your way back down to ground level. The kid was at ground level, lying on his side at the base of the tree, clearly the object of their discussions. You'd run your fingers through the auburn patch of hair between his ears, such a soft, downy coat. The first couple of times you were even tempted to lie down beside him, nestling your face between his shoulder blades and go to sleep. But you didn't want to lose your place in the queue. Don't worry, I'm here saving your place. And we've been moving, slowly but steadily, and now we're at the front. And you can see a competition display by the entrance. Four or five large panels, visual puzzles to entertain the queue. The first panel depicts, in grainy black and white photography, a soldier from the First World War running towards a giant tortoise. They're both wearing shrapnel helmets. It's a caption competition. And there's a handy hint. Handy hint, says a speaking hand next to the image. Be sure to use the correct proportion of logic, humour and hermeneutics in your answer. The second panel features a diagrammatic schema of St Paul's Cup. Some text alongside explains how followers of St Paul in first century Macedonia would revere a sacred cup hewn from a dysplastic lamb's pelvis, a kiss from which was said to bring a bountiful harvest and victory in debating tournaments. The cup has been lost since 51 AD when it got left on a picnic table in the port of Corinth. But today, the text enthuses, and for every day until Maundy Thursday, store manager Valerie Nisbet will be hiding a replica of the cup somewhere in the homeware section. If you can show yourself kissing the cup to one of our Isle Angels, you can win a discount coupon on a Brita filter. The content of the panels gets a bit drier from here, and your attention is dwindling. There's something algebraic about the angle of a sword swallower's larynx, but you've started to get sleepy. You explain to the assistant you've been ill and you need to get inside to purchase glucose tablets and some plastic sheeting. But she says you'd need a doctor's note to jump the queue. And even then there's no guarantee the security personnel would let you in without a receipt of play. And so you're strongly encouraged to enter the competition. Plus, you can win a jeep. A jeep, eh? What colour jeep, you ask? The assistant turns over one of the A4 answer cards, revealing a badly printed image of the prize jeep. Black, I think, she says. The jeep is barely visible under the smeared inkjet bands that bleed to the edges of the page. You notice light, ostentatious coughing coming from behind you. It's me. I'm coughing. As if to say, get a move on. Just put your name down to win the jeep. Do the caption, calculate the larynx, and go inside to kiss the cup. We've all got shopping to do. And you notice the queue is now snaking around the entire perimeter of the car park almost lapping itself, and you glance over the assistant's shoulder into the store and realise it's virtually empty. All the checkout champions are doing the Sudoku or the crossword or their nails, and the aisle angels are milling about the clothing section, joking around with the grey plastic security tags because they look like robo-nipples, and they're holding them up to their chests and doing a sexy robot dance. Please, you say, I have to get inside, I'm diabetic. 
You know you're not supposed to visit the goats, says the assistant. Now, do you want to win this jeep or not? sometimes take me out for ice cream and we'd walk along with it and I'd get excited about the ice cream and I would say oh dad this is peachy keen I, I really like this flavor so nice thank you dad and he would look all frowny and he would turn to me and he would say mm, son Stop it with those words, those words that mean nothing, the ones that come out of your mouth, out of your face, towards my ears, and go down into my head all the time. I cannot cannabulate them anymore. I would sit down with my ice cream and I would turn it upside down on my knee and push the comb right into my knee till the ice cream all slopped down my leg and fragments of cone stuck like glass in my hands and I would turn to him and say I'm sorry dad they're just words I just said them because I was happy he'd say I know son I just don't it's annoying can I can I get you another same flavor. You come back and we walk along with it, and I get excited about the ice cream. And I would say, Oh, Dad, this is peachy keen. I, I really, really like this flavor. It's so nice. Thank you, Dad. And he would look all funny again, and he would turn to me and he would say, mm, Son. You stop it with those words, those words that mean nothing, the ones that come out of your mouth and out of your face, towards my ears and go down into my head all the time. I cannot cannabulate them anymore. By the time we got home, it was night and mom was at the door and she'd see the whole of my legs, my whole lower body coated in sickly, sticky, ice creamy creams. And she'd say, did my boys have a good time? Me and my dad would look at each other, smile, and say, sure did. Peachy keen, my dad would say. And my mom would look all frowny and turn to dad and say, Stop it with those words, those words that mean nothing, the ones that come out of your mouth, out of your face, towards my ears, and go down into my head. 